0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One on one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black.
0: Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking to Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and President, Rancher, Government Solutions. Lynn is an industry veteran that is well known to drive innovation at the helm. Lynn brings more than 20 years of ex- executive experience and has the ability to champion a company's vision to help public sector and private clients operate in a regulatory in the regulatory sector. For 16 years prior to her current position, Lynn led Um, Red Hat's government capture business, uh, where she deployed a team to pursue large government programs, driving the business through systems integrators. Lynn is also an executive board member of AfSIA, as well as a winner of FedScoop's Top 50 Women of Washington, and a Women in Technology Award recipient. First off, Lynn, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me part of Leaders and Legends in Government. So let's start off with just talking about leadership in general, Lynn. So could you describe your your leadership style?
1: So I would believe that over the years, I'm very collaborative and I have high expectations in my leadership style. You know, one of the things that people always say is, um, what made you be so collaborative? And I think it's really instrumental in anyone's um, life that you share and you're supportive of other individuals and you understand where they're coming from and their intentions as you go forward with sales or any activity that has to do in business. So I would say collaborative, high expectations, and some people might not say this, but I'd say I'm very sensitive. I'm uh, sensitive to the needs and the feelings of those that work for me.
0: So Lynn, you know, it's crazy times right now, right? I mean, uh, do you ever alter your approach depending on the situation or audience? Like, and you know there- you know, you're a woman leader in an industry that, you know, when we first started out, we're, we started out in the industry about the same time. Uh, I'm sure when you sat at the table, not very many people looked like you. Um, so have you challenged, have you been challenged or approached things differently based on, on the group that you're working with and you're trying to lead,
1: Elaine, it's funny that you say that sitting at the table, nobody looked like I did way back when, but no, not really, you know, I am who I am. Um, I believe I've been successful and I've proven myself because of the qualities and the traits that I have in my leadership style. Um, so I would say, no, I haven't really changed too much. Maybe I've tweaked, um, uh, some of the ways I do business and, um, some of my feelings and emotions around certain things, but no, I've, uh, I've, I've kept, uh, true to myself. Any stories you could share? Well, you know, uh, growing up, one of the, uh, I just love um, a quote by uh, Judy Garland. And she said, be the first rate person of yourself than a second rate person of someone else. And I've always lived by that, because um, if you're true to yourself and you believe in yourself, you're gonna be successful. Um, One of the things that when you talk about um, leadership and getting through and being a woman in a male dominated space, I remember one company that I worked for, um, Unisys Corporation, which was more of aerospace or system integrators. And I've always been in a manufacturing side. When I got over there, it was such a difference for me. Uh, I'm used to being able to be in an environment and see quickly high performance individuals, where there, people had been there for 20, 30 years and they rested on the laurels. And that's just not me. And so in the beginning, I was the kind of a bulldozer when I got there because I either moved people into different roles or I moved people out. And it wasn't that it was only because I do believe in high performance teams. I do believe in being successful. And, and if somebody's really trying and working hard, I'm all there to support them. And so that's one of the things that I saw when I first went to Unisys. But then afterwards, um, after we had a successful two years there and we turned that chip around in the organization that I was in, I could see everybody mimicking what I was doing and they were actually saying, you know, what you do works. And so that was just a testimonial, I think, to my belief.
0: Any leaders that come to mind in your past that provided you an important lesson or event that taught you important lessons that you wish all leaders knew um, before they got started? You know, I was very fortunate.
1: uh, Early in my career, I worked for Digital Equipment Corporation, which is now HPE, and I was tasked to uh, help Admiral Grace Hopper when she got out of the Navy, and I was her chief of staff at DEC. And one of the things back then, you didn't have Google, you didn't have Facebook. I mean, I really didn't even know who she was, except for she was this um, Admiral that I was to take around and help her with her BD uh, position at deck. She was like five feet, very petite, and I thought, oh my gosh, who is this woman? But I will tell you, I was so inspired of her knowledge. For a, a, for a woman that uh, 70 years old and very petite, she commanded a room when she walked in, and it was just because of her knowledge the history that she brought to the industry, um, immediately we connected because I come from a military background. I went to graduate school and end the undergraduate school on the GI Bill. Uh, my parents passed away very young and I was very fortunate that the military took care of me. And so with Dr. Hopper and I, we spent a lot of time talking about that and how the support of the military for Um, individuals, as well as the community. And she taught me going into uh, meetings, just how to command a room and how to be respected. And and I'll always be very loyal to her for that.
0: What obstacles and challenges did you encounter on a personal level that you had to overcome in order to become a more effective leader? Was there anything that you, you needed to work on from a personal perspective? you know it's
1: uh, i would say is not to let the uh, men in the room get me down um there are so many times that i applied for roles early on for management positions and only to be told that it would be the breadwinner that would get the job even though in my position i was very successful i uh had a masters i i was the top performing in many companies but because um, it was an all male dominated environment at the time when I first got started, it really took a while to get to that first step where I became a manager. But you know what? I think eventually you can win. I, I won them over by by the successes and the hard work. I mean, every time I took a step forward, I felt like sometimes I had to take a step back. But you know, and ultimately, if you're working really hard and as I said earlier, you're true to yourself, you're, you're going to break that barrier. And I
0: felt like I did, you know, I, I, I mentor a lot of women, um, today that are younger, um, from, you know, a a younger generation and I'm, you know, they always, uh, when you tell them a story like that, you see their eyes get big, that they they haven't experienced that, um, do you Uh think there's still work to be done, uh, for this generation to, you know, really get a seat at the table?
1: You know, I I believe we've come so far. I mean, I've been very blessed to have hired some very good women in the industry and and I see them in leadership roles across IT. Uh, And and they've come from different organizations, very young, uh, whether I was mentoring, which I truly believe, as you said, you have to give back because we were blessed to get to where we were. Um, And I also believe in internships when um, my university was James Madison University, I spent a lot of time bringing women in from the IT side over there and put them in internships in the companies that I've been in. So I, I believe they've come a long ways. And once again, it's almost like uh, when you go to school, do you go to the best school and you come out being the best of who you are, or do you go to a mediocre school and come out to being the best who you are? I believe it's all the individual timing, you know, luck, And uh, just hard work makes any woman um, that she can be successful in whatever she decides
0: to do. So, you know, there is a difference between management and leadership. What do you believe is the difference between the two in your style or in your career over the years? That's a really good question.
1: You know, um, you can be a leader, and I think a leader is somebody that's very passionate and it demonstrates a personality trait, a behavior, certain beliefs that people want to latch onto, right? And uh, they can, the way they speak, the way they present, uh, the, their sensitivity, their caring, all that is what a le- makes a leader. A manager to me is somebody that, you know, manages, organizes, puts together the hiring, the firing, but a manager might not be a good leader. A manager may do the day-to-day activities around the business, but a leader can always be a good manager and a leader can be good at everything they do if they've got that type of personality, the certain beliefs that they want, like the Pied Piper that everybody wants to follow. And uh, so I would say that's the difference. And to me, becoming a really good leader is probably the most important thing when you're a manager.
0: I'm talking with Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and president Rancher government solutions. After break, we'll discuss the importance of investing in people. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network, I'm Eileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network, I'm Eileen Black. And today I'm talking with Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and President, Rancher government solutions. Lynn, tell us about your career path and how you became a CEO and President of such a, a great organization like... Rancher government solutions.
1: Um, yeah, I've had a a great, interesting track record. A lot of it, uh, I've lucked into positions and, uh, and it was pure strong will to get some of the roles that I have. Um, I started out after graduate school, um, when I was in graduate school, I actually had an audit for the small business administration and one of the companies that I audited was a restaurant. When I did that, it was really clear they needed a back office system and some cash registers. So I reached out to NCR Corporation. Uh, I worked with them and we implemented a whole uh, back office system and cash registers. And so when I came out of school, they offered me a position with my first time really working in the IT industry. Even though a cash register you might not think is IT, but at that time they were moving from um, mechanical machines into electronic machines, and everything was programmed in BASIC. so I really got a good feel for that. And it was, once again, I was selling to the officers clubs worldwide, and staying in BOQs, which was just a lot of fun, and um, so I got a lot of exposure and experience selling into the military from that, and I really enjoyed it, and for me, like I said, I, was on, I went to school on the GI Bill, so it really gave me an opportunity to give back to the military. From there, I went to a company that was very engineering oriented and very IT, a company called Tektronix. They uh, developed and created direct view storage tubes, which was a competitor to raster scans or the screens that you have today. And uh, most everything uh, they did was in the DOD and the IC. Well, they brought me in to do civilian agencies and you think, why would civilian agencies want you know, high-resolution screens. But it was interesting. It wasn't the high-resolution screens that they wanted. But it was, and I'm dating myself, and I should put a little band-aid over my mouth. But it was the eight pen plotters, where it would go out and get a pen, draw a diagram on a mylar film, and uh, you had pie charts and you had graphs. Today, probably anybody listening to this would go, "Oh my God, you got to be kidding me!" But it was then. It was the state of the art technology and i ended up being the number one rep in Tektronics uh globally because civilian agencies all these uh secretaries and deputy secretaries of these agencies really wanted a beautiful mylar overhead projector to show their graphs and so i was very successful on that and I, i was there for a while that's one of the places that i mentioned earlier that um they really chose they kept The men in the organization, I was the token female, as I always said, and they would laugh with me about it, but um, they would uh, really, it was dominated male environment. I went there, from there, I went to Digital Equipment Corporation, um, and today it's known as HPE. It actually went to Compact and then HPE. But I would say there, it was the first company that it was a very diverse organization. Uh, and it was very exciting to be there because they opened up their um, thoughts and uh, their work effort to women. And it was the first time I had other women in the industry that sat next to me in a room. Um, the diversity for minorities, they had that. And it was just for me, uh, eye awakening that uh, when you kind of, when you work with a diverse organization, you have so many different ideas and it, you're just not one man in a suit. So I learned a lot at DEC and I I started out as manager role there uh, and it was great. So that was my first exposure to management. And I was there for a number of years, 12 years, selling uh, mini computers, Vaxes, and uh, even we got into some of the laptops, which uh, was kind of new to digital corporation when I left. From there, I went to a company and I know you might be familiar with it, Aileen, Network Appliance. Um, it was a storage company. It was not the leader in storage, EMC uh, was. But Network Appliance had what they call, and tense tenth of the word, an appliance, a white box sitting on the network to help uh, collect data and backup. The nice thing about them was that it was just getting started. And so I just got, I started the government organization for them. What, We found there was the network still wasn't reliable. So a lot of people weren't buying NetApp at the time, but once Cisco made the networks reliable and the other competitors, NetApp as an appliance just started to mushroom and grow. And uh, we just saw because of the price point, it just uh, blossomed. And I took that organization from, oh gosh, we probably had three of us when I got started to uh, almost uh, 60 people and grew it to over about $140 million. So that was a big effort for me. And that was my first really start as a manager where I could see an acceleration of growth in business that I did. When I left there, that's when I mentioned I went to Unisys. So I got my stint of working with a system integrator and really understanding, taking integration, not only just selling a technology, but integrating it with a lot of services, consulting, Uh, that was not something I was used to doing. So I got a good, I did get a lot of experience around that. Then after that, um, I had an opportunity, and this is a very interesting story, I really wanted to go to Red Hat. And I set my resume in, I never heard back. I set my resume in again, I never heard back. But because of my leadership role at Unisys, I called over to Alex Pinchev, who ran worldwide sales for Red Hat, and I asked him to come in that I was thinking of moving over from um, a Microsoft environment to a Linux environment. And so he came into the meeting and my whole goal on that meeting was to tell him why Linux was the up and coming future of the IT industry. And I did within, uh, Aileen, this was amazing, within 15 minutes after he left my office and he gave me a call. And he's uh, Russian and he goes, Leen, would you like to come work for me? And uh, I said, wow, I did exactly what I wanted to do. And to, to this day, that's one of the, my best stories because I had a desire to go there and he called me up and uh, sure enough, I started there running uh, the Americas for him. And hence, I was there for 16 years. And at the time, people would say, why would you go to a Linux company? Open source, nobody does that. And it, and it was true. Uh, open source was a new technology. Nobody even thought of it. And, or if they did, they'd go, oh, God, open source, that's free. Everybody can see the software. How do you sell it? And, you know, it's funny. Back then, we would sell it with the story. We would say, if you went into a restaurant and you ordered a glass of water, you never know what's in that water. But if you ordered a bottle water, you knew that it was pure what was in there, and it was tested. And that's how we would sell Linux right off the bat. Now, they don't sell it that way anymore, but that was to get people thinking, oh, open source, if you, if you put a subscription model and you certify it, you know the purification around it, you know how it works with OEMs. So I learned a lot from that. And uh, so open source was kind of my mainstream for 16 plus years. And then the opportunity, Alex again, who hired me at Red Hat, was on the board of SUSE and he called me up and he goes, Lynn, I would love to have you come over and start our federal practice at SUSE. And so I talked to him and we conversed back and forth and um, we created Rancher Government Solutions. So it's a separate entity. We're going through foci mitigation right now and we're making ourselves a separate company from SUSE so that we can support the government. We've even created our distributions and our Kubernetes and our containers. That's all around government to ensure that we have all the certifications, the um, uh, security, and it's all built into our products. So we're making ourselves a separate organization. So it's been a um, it's been a fun ride, and uh, I've been blessed to work with so many great
0: people as well as so many great companies. So you, you certainly, your career wasn't a straight line. How do you? Um grow yourself as a leader to take on these new challenges um is there something that you regularly practice or do you work with a coach so uh, I've worked
1: with a coach in the past, Stanley, when I got started. But one of the things that I found is reading. It's just really important. There's so many good doc- books out there, and I'm just not talking about the mainstream reading about how to be a great manager or a great leader. But I just read a book by Stanley McChrystal called Team of Teams, and um, he worked um, in the military, so he was stationed over in Afghanistan, and his job was to bring the Navy SEALs, the uh, Green Berets. Uh, the military forces together to ensure that uh, they were seamless and they were um, beating to the same drummer. And, and that's basically, that book was really helpful to me recently starting Rancher Government Solutions because we started with six people. We are now within one year, almost 70 people. And to do that, you, just, you have to really understand the individuals that you're hiring. It's fast. And uh, you just have to be able to make sure that you will... Everybody understands the mission and that in reading Stanley's book, I, I just learned so much from it. And a lot of his, the testimonials that he wrote in his book, I use today in, uh, RGS.
0: You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. I'm talking with Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and president, brancher, Government Solutions. Coming up next, we'll talk about uh, cha- challenging times. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Legend Government. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. And today I'm talking with Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and President, Rancher, Government Solutions. Lynn, so many articles are out there right now on empathetic leadership. And and certainly today, people are tired and there's so much talk about the great resignation. And we've been through two years of COVID. Do you lead with empathy and and how do you lead with empathy during these very difficult times? So
1: Eileen, very good question. You cannot be a great leader without being empathetic, Um, especially today with everything that's going on in the environment. Um, Even this last week, how critical things have happened, people emotional around the market, uh, what's going on overseas. Uh, and the whole COVID thing for the last couple of years, you have to be empathetic to the people that work for you. You have to understand, even though they're talking to you on a Zoom call or maybe on Teams, they seem their appearance is fine, but what's really happening to them behind uh, the scenes? I mean, we've all gone through ups and downs through the last couple of years and nobody's different. So you need to make sure that you lead with an empathetic hand and an understanding. Um, The first time I hear of somebody having uh, that's sick, I make sure our management team sends out flowers. I make sure that we send food. I mean, that is so critical because just having them know that we care about them, our employees is to me, number one. Um, The other thing that I really do that I'm really adamant about is picking up the phone Uh, with the way the millennials are today. Hey, texting is everything, Slack. I oh mean, God, if I hear Slack one more time, that's everything, my engineers, that's all they wanna talk about. But you know what? Just picking up that phone and giving them a phone call and saying, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? The end of a quarter, I don't just pick up the phone and say, uh, hey, where are you with your numbers? I'm constantly saying at the end of the quarter, good luck, best wishes. You know, it's just, it's just having that feeling of, an emotional tie between you and the members of your organization so i think empathy really helps develop relationships it makes the individuals see you as a leader is just not this person it's all about numbers it's all about achieving a dollar and i think that's critical in any organization
0: now with this new normal we're going to live in it seems for a while um, have you changed the way that your organization uh, works or you lead or or even how decisions are made?
1: yeah, there there's probably a lot of things that I've gone through, some changes in my own self and my own awareness to things. Um, I'm very a reactionary oriented person. If you talk to people, you say, "Well, we give Lynn something, and right away she jumps to it. You know, I've learned in these times I can't do that. I've got to wait to act. I really spend time in gathering all the data and understanding what the issues are. Um, I guess my number one thing, if anything, is I stay calm. You know, I'm usually like, "Oh wow, well, I got to go get this fixed," and uh, and I go get it fixed. And yeah, that's one answer and it's one way of doing things, but it's not really probably the best in many cases that I that I've seen and experienced in my life. Reassurance, calming is critical. Also building a strong team. You know, If you have a strong team, they support one another, supporting just not each other in business. But if you can support one another in the office and on Zoom calls or how how we live our daily business, working in the environment, you go home and you feel good about yourself. And I want them to go home to their families and say, you know, I had a really good day today. I learned a lot. Um, I was successful and I got supported by my management. And I I guess the other thing too is, um, there are a number of traits that I really hone in on, especially with what's going on today. Truthfulness, you know, you can't tell a white lie. You gotta be upfront and tell people the way it is because if they get a sense that you misrepresented something, you never can go back and fix it. So for me, transparency, and I've learned that in the open source community, transparency is critical. Clarity, making sure that I'm really clear with people. Say it again, repeat it, you know, whether you have to write it, whether you have to say it, whether you have to text it, just making sure that you're pretty clear. So communications, storytelling, telling people, making feel, making them understand what you're trying to say to them is uh, potentially the best thing and antidote for this community or for this environment. So,
0: you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the effects of, on culture with leadership, what do you believe is the leadership and culture relationship? And and how do you as a leader affect a culture?
1: So leadership really drives uh, performance, right? Um, It's your values, your beliefs, the expectations, you set the stage for all that. And that really builds the culture. as I came over to RGS, as I mentioned, we had six six of us and we were all from diverse backgrounds you know they call me the mother because i'm the oldest one in the organization and they're all fairly young because we acquired a company called rancher asusa did and all young startup individuals so i I, and it's the first time in my life aileen that i had to really work with individuals that had a startup mentality Uh, most companies even at red hat when we got started we were all pretty seasoned in the industry um so i had to learn from them and gauge where their direction is they're very fast-paced and uh, I had to go with the flow and understand that I also had to learn how to prevent silos because when you start an organization uh, and from a culture standpoint, people want to work in the environment that they work in. And it's really hard for them to cross that. It's funny when I did performance reviews this uh, past uh, a month ago, I said to everybody, I'm not giving you a performance review for my director of sales because director of sales, because this year you had to do everything. And uh, I, my CTO, I'm not giving you a performance review because you were a CTO, but you did everything. So we had to learn that we could work with each other in different environments as you get a company started. But, and so you build culture around everybody understanding who they are and what their job responsibilities are. But since then, now we have mass of people. We have uh, close to 70 people. And now everybody's in their swim lanes. And, and that's a separate issue, right? Once you start getting in your silos and you're in your swim lanes, how do you get people to still continue to interact the way they did before? And so that's one of the things as a leader, you must have events. You must have all hands. You must have things that people understand what you're doing. Because the one thing I found starting an organization like RGS, you're running a mile a minute. You're trying to get a finance group up and going. You're trying to get sales up and growing, marketing up and growing going. And so, because you're doing all these things, you're not really communicating back down to the team, what's going on. And they're sitting there trying to sell and they're like, well, what's happening up there? What are we doing? Are we an organization? Are we for real? So uh, communications is very critical as you build out your leadership role, as, as you establish culture, you want everybody to know every step of the way, what you're doing.
0: Seems like a strong theme of uh, empathy and communication on your leadership style. I would say, yeah, <laughs> to both. <laughs> to both, that's right. So I, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about women in leadership. You know, um, I had shared, you and I started out about the same time, and, and you had uh, shared a couple of stories about being the only person who looked like you at the table. Um, you've been a leader in technology. Um, you know, I know we both started in kindergarten, but for many decades, you <laughs> um, women are still drastically underrepresented in the leadership technology companies. I mean, you, you hear and you read articles about it all the time. Um, so what do you think we can do to help really change that and bring a more diverse culture to companies that you've been able to successfully do, um, maybe at DEC and past employers, but you know, when you walk into some of the doors of some of the largest companies, tech companies out there, It is not very diverse. What do you think we can do to change this?
1: And you're absolutely right. And it's not just the tech companies. When you think of the aerospace companies, sometimes you can walk into a room and and you're right, still today, I can walk in a room and be the only female in the room. it's become a much rarer occurrence. Um, but I think to help that it's incumbent upon us as women leaders to ensure that we help those that are coming behind us. I really try to make sure that uh, it, mentorship is critical for me. Um, one of the things I did at Red Hat when I was there is Red Hat, had every their nomenclature was RHOS, Red Hat Open Systems, Red Hat Open Stack. I started an organization called Red Hat Open Stilettos. And I had the women um, every other month. We gathered um, at Wildfire. And we had about 35, 40 people. And it was women from all walks of life in Red Hat. And we got together, and we just shared ideas and stories and just laughter. And, and knowing that other women care, and that you can be a mentor there for them, and ask, and let allow them to ask questions, give them a forum that they can uh, feel that uh, somebody is going to answer and help them. So to me, mentorship is critical. I've mentored many women over the years. I said earlier, I've had some women that um, have gone on and are VPs of some great organizations. um, Taking chances with women, I I have a story where when I was at Network Appliance, I had two women came to me, both top rated, worked for me previously in other companies, and they wanted to do a job share. And they said, how do we do a job share? And I said, you know, let me go to my CEO and see if we can. It took, oh God, pulling teeth, Aileen, to get that to happen. But you know what? Ultimately, these two women, we did a job share. They split their salary. They split their commission. The only thing that the company was responsible for was to pay for their healthcare benefits. But you know what? When the CEO came into town, he finally said, Lynn, you are absolutely right, because he went out with one one day, because they shared their week, he went out with one one day and that night he went out and he ordered a drink. Well, the next day he had the other uh, woman that took him out on a call and he asked her, do you know what I drank last night? And she said, yeah, extra dry martini, two olives. And he came back to me and he goes, Lynn, they know exactly the handoff is perfect. This was a great uh, this was a great process that you had put in place uh, for us here at Network Compliance. So I think it's taking risks like that and showing that um, we can do things
0: And we might do things outside of the box, but that's what makes us successful. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network, I'm Elaine Black. And today I'm talking with Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and President, Rancher, Government Solutions. Next we'll find out Lynn's advice to the next generation of federal leaders. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network, I'm Elaine Black. And today I'm talking with Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and President, Rancher Government Solutions, Lynn. Besides being a huge success at the office, you are a very successful mother of a of a very successful daughter. Uh, tell me about how you instilled confidence in your daughter. I, I I know I've seen her on TV. She's in the high tech field. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about being a leader as a mom.
1: You know, I think um, all of us when we uh, raise children. We're always torn, right? We're torn to do work and you have to travel. And then we're torn to, do I raise my children full time? And one thing I've always said in my life is that if you are happy as an individual, your children will be happy. And for me, it was really important that, um, I had a career and that I was successful in my career, but on the other hand, it was really important for me to raise a daughter. Um, I was very close to my mom and I missed that relationship. And when I uh, had Alex, Alex Chapel, her name is now, um, it was like the best thing that ever happened in my life. And and people say, well, are you torn between the both? You know, and yeah, you're torn, but you know what? You can get it all, but you have to work hard to make sure it happens that way. And so with Alex, I instilled with her one, she was a beautiful young woman when she uh, when she was a baby and then she grew up and she was just beautiful. Not only the outside, But inside, and I always said to her, if you're true to yourself, you're you're fair with other people, you share ideas, you're honest, you're sincere, and um, you're sweet with other people. You know, other people will treat you the same way. Do unto others as you want to be treated. And uh, I always taught Alex that, and and from that it inspired her. And because I think I was always an outward bound person, and I was in sales. I instilled that with her. So her um, her presentation, her style was so affordable. It was so great when it came to being on TV. And right when she went to the University of Alabama, she goes, mom, I'm gonna be a sideline reporter. And I said, if that's what you wanna do, do the best you can at whatever you wanna do. So she was, and she worked uh, on TV and radio down in Alabama for the uh, Roll Tide. For Nick Saban's organization, from there she went up to uh, she worked for CBS. She got a great job with NBC. She covered the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Bruins. Her skill set on interviewing was amazing. Her presentation style, her being in front of camera, which I will tell you, Aileen, I could never do. If you get in front, if you get me in front of a camera. I, I'm better off doing the radio like we're doing now. I would be a nervous wreck. But she was so calm. She's so passionate about what she does, and it shows when she presents. And then just two years ago with COVID, they didn't need on uh, reporters, which was really tough because she had just won with um, the Nationals, the Washington Nationals. She was their sideline reporter for the 2019 season. She walked away with a World Series ring It was just amazing. She did a great job. She knows all the nationals, she would fly with them. It went from that to all of a sudden, you couldn't be on uh, TV, you couldn't be on the field. Uh, You had to work outside in a studio, totally different. So she goes, what do I do? My whole life is topsy turvy now, it's changed upside down. And I go, what do you wanna do? I mean, this is what you've done all your life. And she goes, mom, you've always been so successful. I've..." I like what you do. I just don't know. I'm not IT. I've never done this before. And I said, well, give it a chance if you want to. And she did. She interviewed with a number of companies and they took a chance on her at AWS. And uh, within, they hired her quickly. They just couldn't believe her demeanor and her presentation style. And she quickly learned the products. And uh, I'm very proud of her. She's a department of defense, fourth estate sales rep for AWS and she's doing an amazing job. So it just goes to show you it's, if you're passionate about something, go after it. And if it doesn't work out, you might have to pivot. And if you pivot, try to be passionate about the next thing that you have to do. And she's done that really well. And I'm very proud of her for that.
0: Lynn, can you share what it's like the day in the life of of a CEO and president uh, of of an innovative, fast growing company? Uh, and any advice you might have for somebody about to, um, take on that same challenge.
1: Well, I'll tell you, Elaine, it's uh there's never a day. There's never a dull moment when you come to putting an organization together. It's like a, a puzzle, right? You've got a lot of pieces that you got to stick together. And, uh, when I think about it, it's like, I, I don't even know. I have to know marketing. I have to know finance. I have to know sales and we had to put all this together and. I guess the biggest thing is the hiring, right? Everybody always says hiring is so instrumental into any organization. And I have found that more than anything. And not to just run and hire somebody, just make sure they fit in culturally. Because to do it over again, it takes a lot of wind out of your sail. And so for me to hire the right people was very critical. I was fortunate with the original six. They were just awesome. My CTO, um, Brandon Gullah and my uh, technology. Uh, my director of sales and um, Kyle Goodwin, they really knew what they were doing. They came from rancher startup mentality. They really helped me and they got my team off the ground. So you gotta trust the support system that's around you. And, and I did, and that really helped. My finance person, Matt was just incredible. Um, he helped me really build the infrastructure. So I, I would say hiring the right people Uh, Not afraid to take a chance because you're not going to always make the right decisions as you do hire or when you put together your infrastructure, it's not always going to be the right thing. I mean, when we got started, we had no Salesforce. We had no IT infrastructure. We had to ask everybody to bring their own laptops. It was like we were starting from scratch. And, uh, You learn along the way, even becoming foci-mitigated to understand how we're a separate organization from the the mothership, SUSE, but yet still working with them. So I guess trust your gut feeling, uh, read a lot of books on getting started in a company. And uh, and I think if you've got a lot of history behind you and you've done well, I think that's the foundation for any time you uh, take on a new challenge. So what's the favorite thing about your job and what's the least favorite thing about your job? I'd say the favorite thing about the job is all the people I get to hang out with. I really enjoy the people we've hired and uh, I I enjoy the fun stuff having, you know, when we do all hands and we do fun things during all hands and we do charity events. Those are the fun things for me. um, And I enjoy that. Probably the least favorite is all the administrative, you know, managing the sales force, looking at the numbers. I, uh, that's just not my, it, it's not that it's not my strong suit because I do have a strong suit around numbers and making the numbers. It's just not the more fun thing for me. I was a finance major and, uh, I didn't go down that path.
0: I went down sales, So like that tells you who I am. Do you think it's important for leaders to take time to give back? Um, you know, you talked about just now the fun thing that you do to help build uh, your team is to do charitable events is, is do you give back and, and if so, what, and why? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I work really hard with the Susan
1: B. Komen foundation. I, I give back there. My mother passed away of breast cancer. That's really critical to me. My daughter and I wear every single day. She gave me a pink David Ehrman. Uh, elastic bracelet. I never take that off. That's uh, critical. Same thing when I have my all hands meetings. I want everybody to share in their charity events. And so every all hands, we do some kind of contest, and 50% goes to the person and 50% goes to their charity event. And I, I, I truly believe that people believe in that. They end up usually saying 100% to our charity event. I don't need to take the 50%. And I think that's critical. And even for the young women that I want to mentor and help um, giving back is, you know, you pull forward, right? That's what life is all about. When, when you leave, what is your legacy? Your legacy is you're, not that you made X amount of dollars and that's on your tombstone, but that
0: you gave and uh, people really cared about you. Your career and success has truly been inspirational. And um, any pearls of wisdom you would give the next generation to achieve the the success that you have had?
1: Well, I tell you, I do a lot of reading and uh, there's one uh, author and uh, famous woman that I really cherish in my life and it's Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, She once said, you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. And I think as many of us as women, Um, when we first started and even today, when we get first started in new jobs or new positions, we got to look fear in the face and we got to be able to handle it. Um, Confucius always says it's not falling, but it's rising every time we fall. And I truly believe that those are the things that carry us, um, forward into what we do and how successful we are. So if I could say anything to your viewers and listeners, I would say reach for the stars.
0: You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Lynn Chamberlain, CEO and President, Rancher, Government Solutions. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening.
1: You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.